How's everybody doing this morning? So good to see so many faces, uh, to meet some guests. And uh, man, I just sense God is up to something at K-First, and I love that you are a part of it. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to a couple spots, but we are going to kick off from uh, John chapter 4. Oh, somebody left a water up for me. Blessed man or woman of God that did that. I have an issue with labels. Don't, some of you might have issues too. I don't know why I have to peel them off every time they're around me. Some of you are like, you're never coming to my pantry. Um, that would look weird. No labels on anything. Um, but I'm glad that you're here. Glad you're joining us. We're in a series called Sunday Morning, for which we're talking about why we do what we do and why we invite people to do what we do. And uh, last week we talked about the value of gathering, that here at K-First we have a high value on gathering together because we believe that's what the Bible shows us and that's what God calls us to do. And uh, it, like we said last week, some people have told me, well, I, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I just don't need the church. Uh, yes, you do. You need the church and the church needs you. It goes both ways. We need each other. And well, if there's people I don't like, then sit on the other side of the worship center. Uh, I don't like anybody. Then sit in the balcony. Go sneak up in the darkness there. That's fine, too. I, I will still see you. Um, I see the eyes are everywhere. That sounds creepy, too. Sounds like Santa. He hears you. Never mind. I won't get into that. John chapter 4. I feel like I've had a cup of coffee or two this morning, and I have had none. No coffee. John chapter 4, verse 25. Here we are. It says this, The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. We're going to just pause right there. We're going to pause. We're going to collaborate. We're going to listen as Vanilla Ice says. Um, what this, what is, some of you will get that in a little bit, and you will figure out you can smile and laugh in church at the same time. It's all good. Um, what this is kind of talking about, this woman that's, that's recognizing that the Messiah is coming someday, uh, there's going to be a Christ, a chosen one, an anointed one of God, and Jesus says, I am he. The background to this little beautiful, wonderful conversation is Jesus is traveling with his disciples, and you got to know just numbers of issues that were happening in that day in Israel. One of the issues is race-related. If you think race relations is a modern-day issue, then you have never read the Bible, because there are lots of issues where the Bible speaks to race and deals with issues of race, and this is one of those portions of, of Scripture. Um, what are we talking about? Because in that day, you had really two dominant groups of people. You had Jews and you had Gentiles. And every uh, once in a while, you have a Jew and a Gentile. They would get married, come together, and, and what they would create, a child would be called a Samaritan, which would be a mixed blood between two different races. And so the Samaritans were despised by both Jews and Gentiles. And so we had broken race issues that were happening there even in the biblical day. And so Samaria is where the Samaritans lived, and, G and most Jews would actually go around Samaria one way or the other so they didn't have to go into Samaria. And so Jesus chooses to go through. Why? Because the gospel deserves to go to everybody. Glad somebody amen that. That's a beautiful, beautiful time to amen. And so Jesus sits down at a well, and he sends the disciples off. He's like, listen, it's not Sunday, it's Monday. Go get some Chick-fil-A. So they take off. They're going to, get some, they're going to go get some strips. They're going to get some chicken sandwiches, especially the, ch the spicy chicken sandwich. Oh, so good. Jesus is in that sandwich. So they're off to get food, and this Samaritan woman shows up, 
And she shows up, quite frankly, at the wrong time of day. Why is it the wrong time of day? Because uh, the women that would come for water would come in the early parts of the day when it's not so hot, but because of some things within her life and the history of her life and the things that people know about her, she didn't want to deal with the public. She didn't want to deal with people. And so she would come into the hottest part of the day, and there she encounters Jesus. And Jesus has this conversation with her. She's like, the, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is happening. He's going to be here, and Jesus says, that's me. This is the one who's speaking to, to you at this moment. And this, so they have this conversation, and, the, and this woman's like, you know, he's like, go, go get your husband, go talk, get your husband, bring him back to me. And it's really a, a very interesting question because Jesus knows what's going on because she says, I have no husband. And he goes, you know what, you're right, because you've been married five times, and the dude you're shacking with is not your husband. I mean, so some of us think Jesus never calls out sin. Jesus calls out sin. He's just not a jerk like some of us are about sin. And so Jesus calls it out. And so she's like, I perceive you are a prophet. I love how that reads. And, and Jesus has this beautiful moment. And this woman takes off. And it says in verse 27, the disciples come back with a Chick-fil-A. And they marvel that he's talking with a woman, but nobody said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Why is that? Because culturally, for a, a man and woman to be talking alone, that was, very, it was a faux pas. It just didn't happen. And so the woman left her water jar and went away to town, and she said to all the people, come and see. If you've got your Bible, circle those words. Come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. And now, granted, the townspeople are probably saying, we all know what you've done. We know what you're doing. But it was this moment where she said, he listed off. He didn't know anything about me, and he spoke into my life. Come and see. Can this one be the Christ? Verse 30. And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Lord Jesus, take this moment, take this word, these three words, come and see and embed them deep down in our spirits as we endeavor to follow after you. Anoint our hearts, anoint our minds, God, to what you want to speak, what you want to do, and what you want to grow in our lives. And Lord, whatever you want us to do, Lord, we just say, tell us what moves you and we're going to do it. Tell us what to be obedient with and we're going to do it. Tell us what to step into and who to speak to. Lord, we're ready to do it because we want to see your kingdom, your kingdom established in Kalamazoo as it is in heaven. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's sad. I have no more Lions games to pray about. It was, uh, man, about seven or eight years ago. I may have told this story a long time ago. Um, eight or nine years ago, I was invited, sent by our denomination, to go to Minneapolis to be a part of some meetings, to be a part of a, an event. And I remember sitting at the table with Anne, and I was a little confused about why I was there, not totally sure why I was there. It was just kind of a weird situation. And a pastor next to me that I had never met before, he leans over to me and goes, do you know why we're here? And I just started laughing. I'm like, I'm not, I don't have a total clue of why. I just know I've been sent and we're supposed to do something here. And so, so that day, I honestly met one of my best friends in the world, and so we were meeting just outside the Mall of America, and then him and I struck, struck up a conversation, and just, all of a sudden, we found ourselves walking around the Mall of America together, and Anne was our third wheel. It was weird. It's like, me and my, fr me and my new friend, we're just like on this, like, like, just 
a, a mandate. We're just walking. We're talking. We're both in the shoes, and we're just talking about this, and then Anne has to put up with the both of us for like two days. And uh, just had this amazing time meeting just one of my best friends nowadays. And uh, that, that evening, there's this amazing speaker that spoke. His name is Choco Jesus. Choco, uh, at the time, pastored a, a church in Chicago, and God had done just a, a beautiful work of just reviving Chicago through uh, the ministry of New Life and the pastor that was Choco to Jesus. In fact, in fact, the Lord had done so much work that it got the attention of Time Magazine, and Choco was on the cover of Time Magazine. He's an Assemblies of God pastor. He has just been effective. He is an inspiration, and God has done amazing things so much that right now that he is one of the head leaders over all of the Assemblies of God. And I remember now, understand this. Listen to him speak. I'm inspired. I'm challenged as a pastor. And 25 years ago, Pastor Dave Berenger would not have said a word to Choco because I, I don't say things to people that are of any type of influence, notoriety, because I am so intimidated and I have so much insecurity that there's no way I'll, I'll, I'm going to talk. That's for people who have names, and those are people that are really effective pastors. They're just, I thought very little of myself. But this was like 20 years later, Dave Berenger, and I remember hearing him speak, and I just said, I want to talk to that man. So after the event, I just saw him off to, his, off to the side, just on his phone. So I'm talking with Shane. and said, let's go talk to Choco. He goes, no, 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 we can't talk to Choco. I'm like, he's human. Why not? So I, I walk over. I'm like, Choco, my name's Dave. I just wanted to get a chance to meet you. I just think that you're just doing fantastic. I love that you're in Chicago. And I said, I'm in Kalamazoo, just a couple, couple hours away. And he looks at me and goes, well, next time you're in Chicago, hit me up and we'll do coffee. Let me give you my cell phone. And I'm like, actually, in two weeks, I'm going to be in Chicago to see my sister. Let's do coffee then. And behind me, my friend goes, what are you doing? That's Choco. I'm like, I know, but he's inviting me, and if he's inviting me, I'm going to say yes. And Choco goes, you know, yeah, you come on out, I'm going to feed you, and we'll just talk, we'll have coffee, and then my friend behind me goes, uh, can I come too? He goes, go for it. And so he goes, I'm bringing my staff with me. I'm like, well, all of a sudden, this thing has just gotten bigger. And so Choco, we trade numbers, and then he's like, my friend gives him his number, and, and all of a sudden, a week later, Choco decides to text my friend to say, hey, great meeting you. Never, I never got the text. And so I was getting screenshots. Choco's checks texting me, and my Choco didn't text me. What a jerk. And so we're just having this wonderful just rapport with, with, with Pastor Choco. We go, to, we go to Chicago at his invite, and we thought we were being invited to coffee. He brings his staff in, and he allows us to spend a day with his staff. He brings in Puerto Rican food to feed us during the day. And what we thought was just a moment. His invite was so much more than what we've ever expected. And I took a picture of, like, we go into, like, his room where his staff meets, and they got notes on the board, and I'm, like, secretly, like, taking pictures of everything that he's got. I'm like, oh, that, I'm stealing that and taking that and put my name on that. That's going to be phenomenal. Wonderful, wonderful time. And it all came because somebody... Somebody had got into something so deep and he just simply invited me. Can I tell you the power of the invite? It has such beautiful magnitude that it can transform lives. There's a great book by Tom Rainer. It's called Unchurched Next Door. And he talks about that up to 82% of people will say yes if you invite them to church. 
And in fact, I've looked at five different studies, and I've seen anywhere from 65% all the way up to 85% of people will simply say yes if they are simply invited to church. And now I've heard people talk, talk to me about this and say things like, well, well, if I bring up church, if I bring up Christianity, if I bring up Jesus, if I bring up anything that has to do with church at all, people are going to look at me weird. People are going to say weird things. They may not speak to me ever again. Uh, they may avoid me at work. I can't bring that up to family whatsoever. But I'm here to challenge you that there is something beautiful that takes place when we gather together on a Sunday morning. We preached about that last week. There's a value in gathering. When the coals of the fire come together, there is this, it's more than energy. The Spirit of God moves in community. And I believe that's something just as powerful. It's not just us gathering together, but us inviting other people to do exactly what this woman said is, come and see. Something beautiful takes place. And so I want to build a biblical base for why we should invite people to church. Why should we invite people to church? So if you're a note taker, I want you to take some simple notes this morning. Number one, we extend an invitation because we believe in what we are inviting them to. We believe in what we are inviting them to. This is a big deal. I believe in the church. Do I believe the church is perfect? Anybody believe the church is perfect? No. But I'm inviting them to be a part of something that is, I believe, life-transforming. Because when you experience something life-transforming, you've got to get out to somebody else. This past year, my wife and I, we took a trip together, and so honestly, the trip took me about a year or so to plan. And I remember uh, just in the, in the spring, people were saying, hey, are you and Ann doing uh, any trips this year? You guys taking a vacation? It's good elevator talk, isn't it? So any vacations this coming year? I said, we're going to go out west to Wyoming. Half the time, oh, that sounds so cool. What's in Wyoming? The other half of people, oh, is there anything in Wyoming? And quite honestly, I, we've never really been out west. We've flown out to California, but California is not out west. California is its own, it's its own thing. It's California. And we love North Cal. So, so Cal needs a little more Jesus. Um, I love them both. I love North Cal. Love the Redwoods, Shasta Lake, all of that. But going out west, we've never spent any time past Omaha, Nebraska. Why? Because what's past Omaha, Nebraska? Not much. And so we went out there. I get people, well, tell me, tell me what you find out there. That sounds fascinating. Well, good for you. Anybody ever say that to you? You're like, they don't really believe in what you're doing, but, oh, but good for you. It's like calling someone, oh, bless their heart. Mm. Which in the South is like an insult. Oh, look at that pastor. He's got tattoos. Bless his heart. Oh. So we go out there. Day one, we hike up to the 12,000 12, feet. It is the highest point in Wyoming. And we just, on our, our way up there, just started taking pictures. And Ann just said, she was, you know, every day, I just want to post pictures. It's, it's like we wanted, we were starting to experience something that was honestly touching our heart and just capturing our imagination. And we just, we literally just wanted to be Wyoming evangelists. And so, like, this is one of our first pictures that we posted. This is 12,000 feet up. Uh, we met people on the top that were from Michigan, which is the weirdest thing in the world. We're in Wyoming, running into people from Michigan, walking down, and Ann just starts yelling at people, where are you from? And this person's like, Midland, Michigan. We're like, we youth pastor there. Found out we had mutual friends. It was weird. So, 
we, day one, just started posting pictures like this. Now, yes, I am a very, very, very white individual, by the way. It's the Canadian blood. No pigment. So we started taking pictures like this, because in our brains, we just wanted everybody to know, not what we are doing, you need to see Wyoming. The day two, we found ourselves hiking next to a creek, next to another mountain. We posted pictures from that. And all of a sudden, people started writing, where is this at? Wyoming. What's in Wyoming? This is in Wyoming. And we went from, okay, we're Midwestern, but we became the biggest Wyoming evangelist the world has ever seen. It's like, you need to come and get, get a hold of this. We went down to, to Colorado. Never been to Colorado in our, in our lives. We went to Rocky Mountain National Park, which I will admit, when you go to national parks, you have to watch your heart because you get angry at people really quick. It is flooded with people. You, gotta, you just got to get climbing higher because all of a sudden people start pulling back and then you get more alone time, but you get caught up in the, just the, the look of everything. I had told people we might go through South Dakota. You know what I heard from people? Don't go to Rushmore. That's, that's the worst. So disappointing. Why would you go to South Dakota? There's nothing there. And so when we drove through South Dakota, we're driving, we're like, what, what have people missed? Like, Rushmore was amazing. The Badlands, everyone's got to go to the Badlands. It is unbelievable. When did the Cave National Park, at one point, I had to pull over and talk to Expedia and cancel a, a plan that I had just messed up. And we just sat there while on the phone with Expedia for 45 minutes. It may seem bad, but we were just watching the prayer dogs. We were right in the middle of a prayer dog town. It was like whack-a-mole. They're just bouncing up all over the place. Then a coyote walks by, and all of a sudden they all pop up, and they're just watching the coyote walk by. Then they pop down, and it's, it's like, it's living whack-a-mole. It's amazing. Now, the reason why I get so passionate about it is because I've been there, and not only did I experience it, the experience got inside of me. So, no joke, barely a week or two goes by where Ann and I don't talk about going back. We've got to go back. We've got to go back. We missed that. It was the best vacation. And I'm here to say something, that some of us have got to have a wonder recaptured when it comes to the presence of God. Because when it comes to church, some of us treat church like some people looked at Mount Rushmore. If you go, you're going to be disappointed. So I walked in with my, my expectations really low, and I walked away, I'm like, that was an amazing experience. And for some of us, we need to recapture the wonder of not just what Jesus has done in your life, but what he's doing in all of our lives. Because if you can recapture what he's doing in the church, we would be more apt to say, come and see! Come and see what's going on. Now, I'm not asking you to take pictures of me and just post, okay, here, come and see your pastor, because people are going to say, oh, that? Understand, some of you think that people have their mind made up about church. Based upon what they saw in some televangelist or some show or something, or sometimes, let's be real, with some hurt that's happened in their lives. One thing I love is talking to guests. When they come and say, hey, so-and-so invited us, and we came, we just kind of came reluctantly, but we were pleasantly surprised. Nobody judged us. Somebody smiled at me. We didn't think people did that in church. People were singing together. Didn't know what to do with the hands up raised. I think people say, we came, and we thought you were going to make us speak in tongues before we left. I'm like, I don't think I've ever made anybody speak in tongues before they left whatsoever. I have one person years ago, no joke, I thought you were going to come and make me get baptized that day. I'm like, oh, that's a first. I've never done that or made anybody do that or even heard of that whatsoever. But I love when people walk away and they say these words. It's not what I thought. 
And it was a good thing. The people enjoyed. We laughed in church today. We celebrated something. That's what we got to get back to. Because I understand that there are stereotypes that people have regarding church. Let me give you, let's be real, let's talk. Let's just kind of chew the fat here. There are four stereotypes of why people don't come to church. And let's just be, let's be real about it. Here's the first one. Number one, the churches are judgmental and unloving. Now, let's be real. On one hand, there are churches that are very judgmental. And there are some churches that are very unloving. There are some Christians that are judgmental, no finger pointing. And there are some Christians that are unloving. Now let's look at the other hand, that just because that may be true of one, that's not true of them all. And now let's be real. What people call judgmental and unloving right now in the world is not the same as being judgmental and unloving. I have been called judgmental and unloving because of certain standards that, that, that I believe come from the scriptures regarding sin. I bet you that woman could have looked at Jesus and said, well, you're calling me out on my past relationships and what I'm in right now. And she could have said, you're being judgmental and unloving. But there's a difference between being judgmental and also judging between what is right and what is wrong. There's a difference. And so, so many people in this world, what I find crazy is there's so many different belief systems, and it seems to me, this seems to Dave Berenger, that when it comes to the belief systems of this world, that there's a lot of freedom for every belief system to have their standards and they have their doctrine, but when it comes to Christianity, that Christianity is not allowed to have that much freedom as everybody else. It's what I sense. And so, therefore, we have standards. And so, therefore, standards come up as you hate people or people aren't, are not allowed to come to your church if they are a certain lifestyle, if they have different choices, if they look a certain way, act a certain way, for which I look and say, there's not a single time except in one situation for which I've closed the door to any one person. That one person was a threat to a young family. 14 years of pastoring, the only person, and I actually had a connection to the board, accountability to my board, to let them know what was going on. There was a threat to a young family. Other than that, we would never close the door to any single person that would walk through those doors. This church will not be, un, un, uh, will not be judgmental and unloving, and we're going to walk in such a way that says that we're going to love people, and love never is a stamp of approval on anybody's life. Not once. Man, I've had people leave the church because I welcomed people into the church that were not the people they liked. And they said, well, you're just approving of their lifestyle. I'm like, no. Jesus loves them as much as he loves you. And as much as they need Jesus, the way you're acting, you need Jesus too. Amen. So the church, people don't come because it's judgmental and unloving. Secondly, the church is money hungry. Let's be real. There are ministries and ministers and churches out there that are very money-hungry. I've seen and I've heard and I've seen all sorts of silliness, but not every church is money-hungry. And let's be real, when a church talks about money, it does not mean they're money-hungry. We at KFIRST, I have no problem talking about money. We are here because we are sustained by the Spirit of God and the way the Spirit of God works through your life in your giving. I, I will talk about tithing, but I actually prefer to use the word generosity. Why? Because the word generosity means to give above what's expected. And I want to be a people who are generous. 
I don't want to just give my tithe. I want to look for other opportunities to give. Why? Because God has blessed me, and I want to bless others. And when you give, you enable not just ministry at K-First, you, you enable ministry around Kalamazoo to people that are hurting, to people that are broken, and not just Kalamazoo, but to the other most parts of the world. I just sat with a couple this week. They are not Assemblies of God missionaries, but they've been gone for three years into Zimbabwe, and they are doing amazing work out there. We can't bring them on yet. I'm hoping one day to bring them on. Why? Because Zimbabwe needs Jesus. And so we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about generosity. And, and I don't think it's something that we should not talk about within the church. And just because we talk about money or we take offerings doesn't mean that we are money hungry. Listen, as a congregation, you can ask whatever questions about our finances. We have open books. We have a board that oversees our books. We have a treasurer that knows our books. And anytime a board member can access our QuickBooks to check anything because we keep things on the up and up and we spend in such a way that honors Jesus above all. What about this? Churches are inward focused. That churches are just inward focused. Now this is one problem that can happen as a church grows. Oftentimes as a church grows, they can grow upward, but then they grow inward. And a danger point for some churches, and I think every church can fall into this, is that we can grow to the point where we love the people that we have, and we start turning all of our ministry and everything that we do toward the people on the inside. And that doesn't mean that us that attend here every Sunday are not important. I'm not saying that you're not important, but I don't want to grow up and in. I actually want to grow deep and wide. I don't want to grow upward and inward. I want to grow deep and root myself in the presence of God and begin to grow wide in our reach toward every person around us. I want to be the type of church that grows wide. And one of the areas that we have to grow wide in, and this may become a trigger point for a few of you this morning, is we have to grow wider in the way that we reach young adults, teenagers, and children. Because if we do not grow our younger generations, it is not the pastor who will empty out this church, it is the funeral director. 77% of all Christians surrender to the Lord as, as, as Lord and Savior before the age of 18. 95% before the age of 30. Does that mean that all we're going to do is reach young families? No. I believe in a multi-generational church. I believe in a multi... Honestly, we, we are part of the assemblies, but we're very multi-denominational, man. We come from different walks of life. I believe in having people of various skin colors and backgrounds and be represented from every country imaginable. I want the room to be available to all. But we as a church, we have to have a heart for the younger generations because our future is at stake. This September, we're going to be celebrating a series. We're going to be doing a series called 90. It's celebrating 90 years of K-First. And one of the things I'm going to do, I'm actually going to build a nine and a zero for which we're going to have out in the hallway, and we're going to write prophetic words. Every one of you can have a chance to write a prophetic word for the next 90 years. But the next 90 will happen unless we reach the younger generations here and now. Now is the time. Or number four, what's the fourth stereotype? The church is out of touch. The church is out of touch. From politics, racism, current events, churches don't ever address issues. I hear, I hear that a lot. Again, let's go both extremes. You have one, some churches never mention anything at any time. And other churches, they have a statement and a sermon for what happened in the news that week. I have friends that love looking at the news and they write their sermons based upon whatever the climate is right 
Now, you know me well enough, but if you've been with me for any length of time, how often do I make political statements? It is a rarity. It is a rarity for me to form a sermon over a, a national event. In fact, it was after Charlottesville a few years back that I, I, I spoke a message called Love from the Front Row. We dealt with racism, and I think today it's the most shared sermon that we've ever had in my 14 years but I have chosen to do this, that we are not going to get here and to do a partisan politic-style sermons. We're going to proclaim the kingdom of God. And the more that we proclaim the kingdom of God, we're going to recognize the kingdom of God is going to touch all of those areas that we don't have to fine-tune it to whatever the flavor of the month is on the news networks. We preach the kingdom, and we love the kingdom of God to touch every single one of those areas. And that will create a church that's not out of touch, but in touch with what he's speaking to us today. We've got to be a people that have the spirit of this woman that simply says, come and see. Come and see. Come and see what's going on. Now notice, she just simply went out. She encountered Jesus. And she encounters Jesus, and her first response is to go and to invite somebody to that encounter. And look at verse 39. I think verse 39 is so powerful. And it said this, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Now what I love about this is this woman wasn't a leader. She wasn't a teacher. She wasn't a pastor. She didn't take a 16-week class. She didn't go through a small group. She didn't do any of the sort. All she knew is an experience with God, and she went and told the testimony. Listen, the world is not waiting for you to have the right answers and for, in order for them to be invited. They just want you to invite them. But pastor, I don't have a lot of training. This woman didn't have a lot of training. All she had was her story. And some of us are so afraid to say three words that I think the world is waiting to hear from church people. Do you want to know what those three words are? I don't know. We really got quiet in here. I think so often that we, are, we feel like we have to have the answer for everything. And I think the church has this, oh, this atmosphere that says we're know-it-alls. We just know everything. And we've got an answer for anything. There are some things, that I, I'll be honest, as pastor, I've been trained in this. I've got the degree. There's some things I do not have an answer for. And it's okay to say I don't know. But I'm here. I'll challenge you with this. I don't know, but why don't you come and see? I don't know, but here, let's come figure this thing out together. It's okay. This town came out to meet Jesus, not because she had the answers, but because she had a testimony. And let me challenge you this morning that just because your testimony doesn't seem dramatic in your eyes, it doesn't mean that it won't be significant to somebody else's life. Man, Pastor, I've heard testimonies before. And I'll tell you, Pastor, I, I never did heroin. I wasn't a prostitute. You know, I didn't embezzle money. I didn't have this type of healing take place. I've had people list everything that they've never, they've never done. I'm like, okay, but what has Christ done? Has Christ delivered you from sin? Yes. Guess what? You've got a testimony. Was your life pointed toward hell at one point? Did you discover the redemption power of Jesus? Yes. You've got a testimony. And so dis... Just discount your story because you don't have the dramatics of somebody else. We're so busy comparing, and you know who loses? The world loses because it creates a quiet church. But if the church can begin to get a hold of the salvation that won them, that redeemed them, and get that wonder in their spirit, we are more apt to go everywhere we go and simply say, just come and see. 
Do you have an answer? I might not have an answer, but I know Jesus, and Jesus has the answer. Come and see. Come and taste of the presence of God. It's the psalmist that said, taste and see and know that the Lord is so good. Because there's something beautiful about us gathering and then inviting people to that gathering. You see, the church's assignment is not just to get people to heaven, but to bring heaven to earth. Man, if, if it's just getting people to heaven, what we, that sounds fine, that sounds great, but there's so much more that Jesus has in store for your life. Got your ticket punched. You're good. Move on to the next spiritual accomplishment. But it's, it's more than just, let's get people to heaven. Let's bring what God is doing there on earth as it is in heaven. Heal now. Deliver now. Work now. Provide now. Speak prophetically now. Pray now. And it's amazing when you invite people in that moment that you'll see these moments that will transform history and to take people out. Let's be the gospel, and let's bring the gospel everywhere we go. That takes me to number two. Why do we invite? We extend an invitation because we were once invited. We extend an invite because we were once invited. Can I ask this? How many of you, you are the first, you're a first-generation Christian. What that means is you did not come from a Christian family. You were the first in your family, um, or you and your siblings are the first in the family to become a Christian. Anybody? Look around. You guys are my heroes. I'm a fourth-generation minister. All that means is I got more issues than any one of you in the room. I got layers of issues. We extend an invite because somebody invited us. And my guess is for the rest of us that maybe got raised in church, the invite came at some point down the line that transformed your family's history. John chapter 1, verse 35 the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. Look at Jesus inviting. So they came, they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him for a day. It was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak, so this was a follower, this was a follower of John. It was, he was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ, and brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You're going to be called Cephas, which means rock or what we call Peter. We have Andrew he encounters Jesus, and his first response was to simply go out and find his brother. And what happens? What happens when Peter gets connected to Jesus? We find out later in the book of Acts that Jesus is so transformed by God, he gets filled with the Holy Ghost, and he stands on the steps of Jerusalem and speaks, and thousands come to know Christ. How did that happen? Through the power of the Spirit. How did that happen? Because a few years before, somebody said, my brother needs to be invited. Well, Pastor, that could be awkward sometimes, inviting people to church. I get it. Think about how awkward it can be to invite somebody. Should I bring this up? Are they going to think something? Are they going to 
wonder this about me? Are they going to gossip about me? Is, this, uh, is that going to change our relationship? Is it going to be awkward around us if I just breach the subject? If, think about all of maybe the pressures that go along with inviting somebody in your workplace or in your family, your neighborhood to, to, to just the church. Think about the pressure that's there. And now I want you to think about this. Think about the person that invited you. Think about the person who invited your family a generation or two ago and the pressures that they overcame because they knew somebody else needed to hear about Jesus. There's something about the invite. I've told the story of our family background uh, a few times that my great, uh, so my great grandfather was the one that started, he was the first generation Behringer Christian because his parents were witches. No joke. And there's stories that in, in the family for years to talk about the, the kitchen table flying around the kitchen and things lifting up and, and moving on their own. I've had people say they don't believe in demonic activity. I'm like, let me introduce you to some stories in our family. And so my great-grandfather as a child was just walking down the street and there was a church planter in a storefront that was playing gospel music and the gospel, something about the music triggered something in my great-grandfather's heart and he walked up and a pastor just invited him in. And one invite set something into play that affected our family for Lord knows how many generations now. My kids are serving Jesus now, so now to the fifth generation. And then hopefully one day my grandchildren, and, and it will go. Why? Because of, of one invite. Change trajectory. What could happen? What could happen in our city? What could happen in workplaces and schools and neighborhoods and marketplaces if we simply had those words, come and see? Because God wants to do more than just bl put blessings into you. He wants to pour blessings through you. The Spirit of God wasn't given just to bless your life and to fill your life. It's to use your life. You are all vessels ready to be used by God. All you got to do is say, yes, Lord. It's yes. God, take my resources. Take my talents. I love the song that we sang today because it reminds me of the woman that had oil and poured it out on Jesus. And when people mocked her for what she did, Jesus uplifted and said, she gave it all. And I said, Lord, I want to give it all. Who can I say to this week? Come and see. Come and see. And number three, we extend an invitation because the future is at stake. The future is at stake. There's something very powerful about the invite because the future of not just K-First, but the church overall is at stake. Did you know this, that as of right now, the church in America is in decline? I believe in the church in America is approaching what Europe went through years and years ago being post-Christian is what we would call it. The church in America is in decline. I've got a cure for declining churches. You know what it is? Adding people. No, y'all are waiting for something very theological. <laughs> add people. How do you add people? Invite them. But the church is in decline. That's just in America. Did you know that there's revival sweeping around this world? The church is so bit much bigger than, than, uh, than America. Where is Christianity growing the fastest? Do you know? Africa. 
Africa is exploding in revival. Asia exploding in revival. In 2000, 814 million Americans lived in Europe and North America, while 660 million uh, lived in Africa and Asia. In, in the year uh, 1900, twice as many Christians lived in Europe than the rest of the world combined. Today, more Christians live on the continent of Africa than any other continent. And by 2050, Africa will become home to 1.3 billion Christ followers, while Latin America will have six, um, 686 million followers, Asia, 560 million. And those both will have more than Europe and America together. Revival is sweeping the world. And though I celebrate that, and we, I keep hearing, well, America's post-Christian. America's post-Christian. You know what I hear? I say, Listen, that's your opinion, but I believe there's a Jesus movement happening, and it's on the rise in the church, because even though we are hearing that about America, that is their diagnosis. I believe God has got a prescription that he's going to call us to suck carpet, to call out and to pray. That's what my dad calls it, to pray, to suck carpet, to call upon the name of the Lord, and perhaps, perhaps God will fill us, which I know he he will fill us, and he's going to use us to go and to just reach the world and say, come and see. Come and see. God's not done with K-First. People, come and see. God's not done with Kalamazoo County. Come and see. God's not done with Michigan. Come and see. God's not done with America. And the goal is not to get America to have more Christians in government, which I think is great. The goal is to get Jesus just in its people. I want to see a revival, a revival of Christ coming into lives. Generations will be changed because you invite. You see, come and see is the invitation to a moment with Jesus that can lead toward a life of following Jesus. That's all come and see is. Coming for a moment with Jesus because... Listen, one moment, one week out of 47 years of life, one week and all of a sudden I'm addicted to the West. One week of, of a vacation is just changing a view in my brain about an entire portion of our nation. I'm here to say that it just means nothing next to just tasting the presence of Jesus Christ and realizing the type of change that he makes on an everyday basis. Our world deserves it. Our schools deserve it. Your co-workers need it. Your family deserves it. Your spouse needs it. They need to come and see because a moment with Jesus can change the trajectory of families. The trajectories can change. So there's three simple things I want you to do. So if I can have my keyboard player come. Three things that I want to do. Simple things that you can do when it comes to being an invitation-oriented person. Number one, I'm going to make this very, very, very practical. Number one, sincerely listen to and learn about the person. There is this idea that Christians are tell people and we don't listen. And let me just challenge you this. As believers in Jesus, do not befriend people only to get them to become Christians because if they don't become a Christian and you walk away, what type of testimony is that about Jesus? He was a friend of sinners. And not everybody who encountered Jesus walked away as Christians. Some of them walked away and sold them out. 
But when it comes to, to dealing with people who are what, what I call our seekers in this world, listen to, learn about them, know people's stories, know the background, ask them about church, ask them what they know about church. And if they, if they start giving you some of the stereotypes that I don't like this about church, I don't like that about church, you know what I want you to say to them? I don't like that either. I don't like the churches unloving. Thank God we don't have that at K-First. You should come on out because we don't like that either. I don't like money-grubbing pastors. Fantastic. Come on out. Meet our pastor. It's not money-grubbing. Well, they're judgmental. You know what? There are judgmental churches, but guess what? K-First, we got no room for that. In the words of the great online theologian from, what, 2009, ain't nobody got time for that. But sometimes we need to learn how to just sit and listen. And as a believer in Christ, I challenge you to, to listen five times more than you actually speak. Learn. Number two, tell people the difference that Jesus and your church has made in your life. Talk to them. Some of y'all have absolutely transformed me. I am a better follower of Christ because of of the friendships and the relationships, some of the words that you send me, the encouragement that you've given myself and my wife at some of the most critical of times. My dad and I talk about this all the time. What would people do without Jesus? We don't know. And what would people do without church? I have been to, I have, I have performed three funerals in the past nine days. One of them was the, one of the former pastor's wives of this church, the one that built this building. And the one thing, the common denominator was listening to the family say, I didn't think people would come on out. And the presence of other individuals blessed their hearts. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the church. And when you're talking with people, tell them about the difference Jesus has made in your life. Has Jesus made a difference? Has Jesus made a difference in you? Not to be real. Has church made a difference in your life? I'm not asking if, if Pastor Dayton made a difference. Did church make a difference? If your marriage struggled, if you were hurting, if you needed a place to belong, if you were, had a fractured life, if, boy, you, you needed food, you needed clothing, you needed companionship and friendship. I'm telling you what, the church is such a beautiful place to find healing. And lastly, invite them to join you for one day. Some of us, when we think about invites, we do it, I think, in a very challenging way. I want to actually create an easier way for, to do this. Because what we do is we walk up to somebody and we will say, Hey, would, Jeff, would you come to church with me this Sunday? And immediately, Jeff's going through in his brain, Okay, please say I've got something on the calendar. Please say I've got something on the calendar. He's like, Oh, yeah, I've got, I've got something. There's that pressure. But what if, instead of saying, Would you come this Sunday? Hey, I go to K-First made such a huge difference in my life and I've heard some of the things that you've gone through and boy I've found just an amazing sense of just healing and friendship and community would you want to come with me one day would you be up to maybe in the next year just one day would you come with me stats would say 65 to 85 percent of people would say I'd do that now, what you don't want to do is, hey, you said one day, is it this week? Please don't, don't be that person. Now, you got some good relationships, and maybe you can pull that off. But, but what if you just said one day? 
And all of a sudden, that one invite, you begin to stack conversation after conversation after that because after that conversation, all of a sudden, because you haven't put pressure, perhaps it's beginning to open the doors of some of the hardness and some of the brokenness in their life for them to be able to say, hey, maybe I can talk with you about deeper things. And all of a sudden, the opportunity comes up, hey, we've got Easter coming up. Uh, we're doing a, a message series on depression. And those actually two things are going to be coming up in the next four months. Would you want to come on one of those Sundays? You know what? I think, I think I might. Why? Because instead of pressuring them to a moment, you simply, you are Jesus. Come and see. Just come and see. Just come and see. This is not one of those series where we have everybody rush up to the altar, but my prayer over you today is going to be this, is that God would begin to drop into your heart three people. Why three people? Because it's a good number. One for, the, one for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't know. Just three people. But my prayer is that God will begin to drop into your three people this week. That maybe people that you need to befriend, before you ever invite them, you just need to befriend them. Just start establishing, establishing some sort of relationship so they're not feeling like he's only a friend just because he wants me to do whatever he wants me to do. People are not there to be your spiritual accomplishments. They're there to be loved. So invite to be a friend. The opportunity to talk about the difference. Well, here's what I heard about church. You know what? I heard about that too. But what's cool? That's not gay first. What if I don't have a suit? It's cool. Our pastor's allergic to wearing suits. <laughs> I'm afraid people will judge me. I'm telling you what, there's not a store for which I've ever gone in where I didn't feel judged by somebody. <laughs> but no one's going to judge you, okay, first. If there are, Pastor Dave deals with them. <laughs> hey, one day would you come? Why? Because let me tell you what happened to me. If somebody invited me, somebody invited my parents, somebody invited my grandparents, and this is the difference it's made in our lives. Are we perfect? We're not perfect. Do we have all the answers? I don't know all the answers. But one thing I do know is I met Jesus. This is John 4. I met Jesus. And you need to come see that Jesus. And if we can trust Jesus to do the work that only he can do, and Jesus can trust us to do the work that he's telling us to do, he'll take care of all of it. To his honor and to his glory. Bow your heads with me. I'm done yakking.